0: It's Ken Rakowski and this is Coin DMZ. This is our ninth episode, and I'm being joined by Mr. William Quigley, who is in the States with me. We tried to do the show last week, but it sounds like we just couldn't get it working. You were over in Davos, the World Economic Forum, WEF, and we just couldn't go we couldn't get good broadband. Was that the situation, William? Yeah, pretty much.
1: I mean, they've got it, but <clears throat> not in my hotel. So uh uh, yeah, it made it hard.
0: Okay, so for people that probably saw a lot of things regarding the World Economic Forum on television, what we see on TV, is that what you were experiencing? Well, I'd say partially.
1: There's the whole pomp and circumstances of the annual meeting, the World Economic Forum annual meeting, where uh, all the uh, big TV stations are broadcasting from, and it looks very formal and presidential. Um And that's at what they call the Congress, uh, which is a a building where all the formal uh, presentations take place. And then there is, uh, it's kind of like Sundance, the uh, film festival. There's this street called the Promenade, and on that street are where the real business of Davos takes place. It's a funny thing. Uh Um, It's a retail street, and during Davos, um, the retailers leave, or a lot of them do, and they rent out their retail locations to big multinational companies, which uh, redesigned the whole space and have presentations there the whole week. And so that's where uh, the cryptocurrency community was really doing all of its work along what they call the promenade. And there were, you know a dozen or maybe more presentations every day from different uh, groups representing uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency companies. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, there were lots of people who were attending the World Economic Forum who were spending time um, learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology by walking along the promenade.
0: So if the World Economic Forum, again, hence world, it's government where business come together, where does crypto play in this whole idea? Cause it was really prominent at this world economic forum. Where does it fit with the global government's perspective? What, do, what, so what were you I getting? Think, yeah, I think it's gone from being a uh, sort of like a,
1: a, a, a phenomenon, but not one that has any real impact on the global uh, economy to one after 2017. Which remember at the beginning of 2017, cryptocurrencies collectively were valued at less than 20 billion, and at the end of 2017 they were getting close to one trillion in U.S. dollar value. So uh, uh, the the conference attendees of Davos, which are the uh, big multinational companies, banks, and uh, members of, of governments, particularly the G20, which is the 20 largest economies globally, and of course presidents, prime ministers, and whatnot, uh, they are looking at it now as something that needs to be dealt with, I, I suppose would be
0: how I'd put it. And you saw... It, at the highest level being talked about being the prime ministers and the presidents or did you see more yes. oh you did so you've heard yeah. you heard it at that high level saying crypto is something we need to talk about yeah for sure I mean you had uh, the uh, president of the European uh,
1: uh, community bank uh, he said uh, he got a balanced view he said uh, you know, it needs to be regulated by the G20, the 20 biggest uh, uh, economies. Uh, but there's quote lessons to be learned. You know, I find this stuff always annoying. Uh, one of the lessons he pointed out was, oh, cross-border payments are hard to do. Yes, they are. And that's one of the best uses of cryptocurrencies. But you know, if it weren't for Bitcoin in particular, these guys would never have even cared of how difficult cross-border payments are uh, to perform, and the cost of them. So uh, you had guys who I thought were jokes, like Robert Schiller, he's a uh, famous economist, and he's a pretty negative, I would say, on uh, cryptocurrencies, but I liked his comment on CNBC, he said, you know, it's possible that Bitcoin will be around for 100 years, but it's very likely to collapse before then. Well, got News Free, Robert, so is every fiat currency likely to collapse within the next 100 the years. The euro. Um, and uh, <laughs> probably the most negative comment from a world leader I heard was Theresa May uh, from a uh, Prime, Prime Minister of the UK, who... Uh, mm-hmm. Who said that? Uh, you know, we needed to regulate it. Well, regulate to these types of people means is to kill it, right? Make no mistake, because it could be used for illicit purposes. That's bullshit, right? Uh, you know, everything from automobiles to um, You know, to to US dollars can be used for criminal activities. So if that's your reason for trying to abolish something, then humanity would have nothing left. Uh, I, I think the real reason is they look at it as something that their antiquated system can't really influence or affect, and they don't like it.
0: Well, they always talk about the dark web, and that's where crypto is being used because it's not trackable. And this is why crypto is so dangerous, is because governments can't be involved to find out where nefarious acts are taking place.
1: Now, Ken, can you imagine if the governments of the world, God forbid, had applied the same test to the internet
0: 20 years ago? (laughs) well didn't they initially right. tried to do this let's be fair this was the first issue of peer-to-peer if you remember was it yes. was nefarious illegal acts and of course the biggest issue was the entertainment industry is what got caught up into it initially you know, it, it was the Correct. riaa and the mpa and all these organizations that took down these these groups scour if you remember that's travis kalanak's first company yes. uh you know napster and uh, i was part of morpheus because it was the entertainment industry, if it was more at the government level, I don't think it would have been as sexy as it was in the late 90s, 2000s. Does that make sense? Yeah. One
1: of the things that I found uh, interesting is, you know, the profound ignorance of the people at at Davos, the World Economic Forum, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but uh, there's this knee-jerk kind of response that I hear continuously, which is, we like the blockchain. Oh, we don't like cryptocurrencies. I I can't say it enough. The blockchain is uninteresting without cryptocurrencies. The magic of the blockchain is that you... You can get people to work on keeping a distributed ledger of information, which in and of itself, no big deal. It's a cloud-based spreadsheet. Think of the blockchain as that. With a bunch of information on it, whether that be records of who owns what currencies or records of um, any other important financial transaction, the blockchain can record it all. But what makes it magnificent is that it can be fully distributed and not controlled by any one group and yet managed well. And that's because these blockchains have a currency associated with them that is an incentive for people who do want to maintain these blockchains to keep maintaining them. So to take away the cryptocurrency from the blockchain To me, it's like taking the browser from the internet. It's just not nearly as interesting. And uh, a lot of these, uh, uh, I think these government officials, they want to sound like they are not trying to kill off something like the blockchain. Uh, So they, they give lip service to, oh, it's an interesting technology, but the cryptos are bad. By the way, we'll talk about it later, but there's nothing terribly interesting about a chain of hashes, which is what the blockchain is, for keeping things secure. It's only interesting when you marry it with a currency. I'm
0: kind of feeling like this right now, William. The government leaders, they are where George W. Bush was when the internets came out. Yes. They know the buzzwords. They may not know how to use them properly, but they don't know the depth of what those terms mean. Do you agree? Yes, I do. The internets. All right. So, hey, we're going to real quick stop for a second. Many people may not understand who we are. That's William Quigley. William Quigley has been a serial investor, a venture capitalist. Uh, he has worked for big brands that range from Disney uh, to investing companies like PayPal. Uh, he has been instrumental in launching thousands of companies uh, and he is seen as one of the most respected individuals when it comes to investing, venture capital, and now, of course, the cryptocurrency space. I'm Ken I am would say not yeah.
1: thousands of companies, Ken, but uh,
0: incubated and invested in uh, several hundred. Yeah, see, I, I, I would say thousands because just the workshops that you've been part of, just with me alone, okay. just with me alone, you've probably have launched 250 companies through partnerships that I'm part of just by my, with me. So I would say thousands, okay? Fair enough, So yeah, fair enough. In, in terms of, yeah, working with companies, sure. I'm Ken Rakowski and I've been part of this whole internet thing since uh, it started. I am the guy that started the whole concept of what the podcast is in the mid 90s. I worked with Microsoft launching that type of technology and then went to broadcast.com, worked with Mark Cuban and then went to CNET and we launched the whole CNET online radio network. And uh, I've worked with companies like Microsoft and, and Google and Yahoo. And I've uh, been a, a fixture of the Southern California area for a long time. Now spending more time in Asia. But we're here every single week, maybe possibly twice a week, to give you updates of what's going on with the crypto space. So a snapshot from today, right now, uh, Bitcoin is at $11,294.50. Now, you and I see this as an opportunity. A lot of people are saying, and I know you hate small snapshots, you're a long-term type guy, they're saying, yep, it just bottomed out, and it's staying there, because it almost was 20000 it just shows that Bitcoin, it really doesn't have all that gas that we thought.
1: Yes, they are, and uh, uh, every year, as you know, Ken, for many years, it's in January, I've either spoke at one of your events or, uh, another, uh, public event. And I've mentioned that cryptocurrencies have a long way to go up, uh, but they will have a, uh, rocky path going up. They'll drop sometimes and then they'll recover because there's a lot more to be done. There's a lot more people who are going to own them. And, uh, There's always people who've doubted. Uh, I'm not saying I have a crystal ball, I just know the fundamentals that are driving an interest in cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology have not changed. So these day-to-day, week-to-week sort of swings in the price have a lot to do simply with um, micro events, Uh, maybe a, a big investor had to get out and so they sold off. Or maybe uh, you've got a bunch of new investors coming in in a given week, which drives up the price of Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency. Anyone listening to this uh, podcast should know that my view is you put in enough money, if you're an investor, into the crypto uh, space where you're comfortable, but you are not worried if you should lose it all because it is highly speculative. And your time frame should be multiple years, three years to five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I almost feel like the best thing to do is to put your money in, you know, a set of coins could be the top 20, top 50, whatever, and then set it and forget it, you know, come back in several years. Looking at the day-to-day movement, it's like the day-to-day movement of a stock. It's usually inexplainable. It's just, you know, the effects of, uh, uh, the cumulative effects of, supply and demand and it may mean very little
0: so i want to do a shout out to my brother because he loves the show mark and he goes i love when quigley talks technical stuff and one thing he loved that you brought up and many people have said the same thing is how you look at your portfolio and how you adjust it um every so often and determine where certain things should go and how you move things around so if you look at your Mm. current portfolio right now and you look at what Bitcoin has been doing for the last, say, month and a half, do you put more mm-hmm. into Bitcoin or do you start leveraging well, it somewhere else? Well, um,
1: I consider Bitcoin to be a core holding, so I always have, uh, it's probably up to uh, a third of my total crypto position is in, is in Bitcoin. And, uh, and I include in that, by the way, something I should mention. I include uh, BCH, Bitcoin Cash. Um, and that's because you know bch was a fork of bitcoin i consider those two coins to be sort of a, um, uh, potentially moving in opposite directions though they don't always um, as some people know who follow this podcast uh, a group of people wanted to change i think improve the way bitcoin operates they couldn't get the um uh, 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 all of the miners of Bitcoin to agree. So they forked, and which just means they split away from, from Bitcoin. And they created a new coin called Bitcoin Cash, uh, traded uh, under the three letters BCH. And I believe if you own Bitcoin, you should always own Bitcoin Cash. And the reason is because uh, they're sort of like a hedge against each other. Um, if Bitcoin Cash starts to really work the way it's supposed to and one of its benefits is it will process transactions faster and it will be much cheaper, then you would expect to see Bitcoin to go down. You know, if it, if it fails and I suppose a uh, Bitcoin would maintain its price. So it's a bit of a hedge and I would encourage people to uh, to own
0: both. So right now I'm looking at Bitcoin Cash is $1,662 just to give everybody an update or a snapshot of right now. So since we're talking about portfolios, one of the tools I love for my kids, and I use it too, is something called Robinhood. It's a fun Mm -hmm. little app that uh, was developed. I want to say Y Combinator came out of them. They raised about $187 million. And it's an app that allows you to buy stocks. You can buy your IBM, your Tesla, and it's a... A, uh, a trading platform, a stock buying platform with zero mm-hmm. fees. They found a way to, you know, uh, hold on to your money and make money on the interest on that. They have announced starting in February, you're going to be able to buy crypto inside this, meaning right next to my Tesla stock, I could own Ethereum or Bitcoin in the same portfolio management application. Now to me, this sounds like the beginning of a brand new direction for passive investors, people that really don't get it, but now they have accessibility, kind of like what Coinbase was supposed to do. Um, but this is gonna be a lot more aggressive, don't you think? I do, I mean, one, it's
1: raised a lot of money, like you said, almost uh, $200 million. And um, it is geared towards the millennials. And that what is the number one problem people have who don't own cryptocurrencies, but would like to? It's trying to acquire them. It is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. A lot of banks don't want people buying cryptocurrencies for using their bank account. And, uh, and then the fees are high if you uh, use a credit card to buy the cryptos. So uh, the fact that this company is saying it is not going to charge fees does confuse me, I have to tell you. How? Uh, How can they yeah. do that? Yeah, that's how can they do that? And and like anything, whenever somebody says we're not going to charge fees as a company, I always say you know add the word for now or you know words for now. So um, maybe they're using this as a customer acquisition strategy, which is a good one. But um, uh, as you know, for for uh, Bitcoin, we've talked about this. The fees have gone up over a thousand percent in the last twelve months it's very expensive to transfer Bitcoin from one account to another. Uh, It can be $50, um, and it's been averaging maybe between $25 and $50 per transaction, which means you have to move a large amount to justify the cost. So unless
0: Robinhood does that, and they, they typically focus on small amounts, I think a minimum deposit, a minimum is $1,000. Yeah, so, you know, $50, that would be 5%.
1: That's still an awful lot that that, uh, Robinhood is going to absorb in order to, um, you know, honor this no fees. My guess is that will last for some period of time, but not, uh, you
0: know, not more than
1: maybe a year
0: you know, in a 24 hour span of announcing this, because it's not available yet. They announced it, you're put on a waiting list and almost 600,000 people signed up for it. These are real people that already have the platform. They have 3 million people that utilize Robinhood and already three or 600,000 have signed up to utilize that. That's a pretty yeah, stunning it, number.
1: It is. And and of course, it, it shows you how, how much people want to acquire cryptocurrencies. And of course, I believe it's a great, uh, very speculative investment for people to make if they um, uh, have some money that they can afford to lose. So it's in the more high risk area of your portfolio. But... You know, the stock market has really disappointed many people, including myself, uh, over the last, like, 15 years. We've had uh, lots of scandals in the stock market. We've had uh, massive crashes due to the banking system not working the way we thought it worked. Um, It's not like when you invest in public company stocks, you're protected completely from loss. But compared to cryptocurrencies, uh, the stock market is can't ever offer the amount of return potential. You know, some of these coins have gone up 100 to 2,000 times.
0: Uh, so not percent, by the way. Yes. Times. Times.
1: You invest a dollar, and now it's worth a thousand dollars. So this this it, it makes sense, especially for millennials who are not completely wed to the old style of. Uh, owning a mutual fund and, you know, earning 5%, if you're lucky, a year,
0: um, they're looking for something that's different. And uh, well, my kids, my kids that are under, by the way, you know, 16, 13, they heard this and they both said right away, oh, great, I want to get rid of my Snapchat and get rid of my Twitter and convert it. So they're automatically thinking about how they can, you know, displace that, that poor investment into something that they think would do better. I, I just love hearing this. So. This could also change the broker-dealer model for a lot of, let's say, financial and, and uh, financial planners out there that are limited, because most of these dealer brokers don't allow their agents to do anything in yeah. cryptocurrency. This might be a point of change.
1: Yeah, and of course, I've always felt like, uh, you know, the nanny state, which is you know the term for regulation that that kills off interesting new technologies and prevents people who aren't wealthy from doing something because they're quote being protected. I've always had a problem with that mentality. Uh, you know, you, you, there's great benefits to making sure that people aren't being scammed, but you can't so focus on that, that you kill off the potential for any new type of investment to get created. And this is the, the biggest issue I think facing cryptocurrencies is, is, uh, uh, many, many regulators in many countries have said, We don't think this is good for our people to have. Well, you let them have stocks, which have crashed, you know, and, and people have lost money in. So, what's the
0: problem? Well, I think it probably goes to our next story. Have you heard of CoinCheck, the CoinCheck exchange? Yes, I have. <laughs> so, I think that's where what governments are looking at is exactly what happened there, do you agree?
1: Yeah, and so Coincheck is a uh, Japanese-based cryptocurrency exchange that just had a massive hack where um, $500 million uh, equivalent uh, of a coin, I think the coin is called NEM, uh, was stolen. And uh, the, uh, you know, I've said many times, so I'll say it again on this podcast, Keeping your coins on an exchange is not wise, okay? I've said it before, I'll say it many times in the future. It is not wise. The exchanges are huge, huge targets by hackers. And the worst part is you have no idea most of the time whether and how those exchanges use the standards of security and and good business practices to prevent hackers from stealing and most of these are not insured so if your coins are on an exchange and that exchange gets hacked for the most part you've lost all your money and uh uh when i read about uh, this exchange the first thing i was looking for was well how did they safeguard their coins what i read now i'm not saying it's it's uh it's true because i haven't heard this from the exchange itself but what i read was These coins were stored in a wallet that was not a multi-signature wallet, and that is really bad. So multi-signature wallets require several people, uh, depending on the wallet, it can require three to six people who have to put in their identification in order for a transaction to happen. So they were not using a multi-signature wallet. They were using a wallet that needed one password, so that was bad. yeah yeah. oh wow
0: (laughs) and they're probably and they're probably using an an outdated version of microsoft outlook and they opened up a pdf they weren't supposed to
1: well you're probably right (laughs) because that's
0: that's where the viruses come from
1: and then and then the other thing that they did they had 100 of these coins 500 million dollars of these coins in one hot wallet a hot wallet is a wallet that is connected to the internet, meaning bad guys can get access to it, that is just an absolute no-no. There would be no reason to have a wallet connected to the internet with that much uh, crypto in it. Uh, uh, We have this uh, term, we call it uh, cold storage where you store most of the coins on the exchange, you store those in cold storage which means they're locked away safely without being connected to the internet. So it appeared these two, two vulnerabilities, all the coins in one wallet connected to the internet and that wallet needing only one password not multi-signature was enough to get a hacker to come in and steal half a billion dollars worth of coins.
0: So you're listening to CoinDMZ. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. Uh, we are recording the show because we're supposed to do it last week. But William, of course, was hanging out at the World Economic Forum. Uh, we get him twice this week, which is a good thing. William, 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 I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things to do every day, and it sounds so exciting probably to everyone out there, is to go to Starbucks. Yeah. I don't know. It's my habit. And I use my Starbucks card constantly. It is a regular thing I use all the time. Now, would you consider Starbucks to have their own currency or is it just, you know, hey, this is just a tool for them to utilize the interest on what everyone puts inside their Starbucks card account?
1: Yeah. Uh, i can't imagine starbucks issuing its own cryptocurrency and i think howard schultz the uh i guess he's chairman now has said as much they won't issue their own currency what he has said is that he thinks uh or he could envision starbucks one day not sure when
0: uh accepting cryptocurrencies and what he will find out What's that mean? What's that mean, accepting? Is that a payment yeah. onto the Starbucks card? Yeah, I, that's
1: what I'm guessing. You'll be able to load up okay, your Starbucks it. card
0: with cryptos. Maybe
1: you'll be able to even buy at the checkout, use uh, cryptos at the checkout. Now, as you know, and I've said this many times as well, um, cryptocurrencies, for the most part, are not great. Uh, they're not that necessary in, in the Western world uh, for paying for things, credit cards and AC. Bank transfers, they work fine. It's outside of the Western world where a lot of people are relegated to cash uh, and other high-cost ways of buying stuff where cryptos could be be excellent. But before Starbucks actually starts accepting cryptos, they're going to have to do a lot of back-office stuff. They're going to have to figure out how to account for it. There's no real rules for that. Then they're going to have to figure out how to... uh, Uh, roll it out. I assume the U.S. would not really be, uh, they may not even get this, but the U.S. is not where they should focus. They should focus.
0: Yeah, but but, but William, uh, Expedia, I know it's not a point of purchase where you walk into a brick and mortar, but they take crypto.
1: Yeah, they do. And I think that was great. I'm glad they did. Uh, There's maybe a slightly better argument for them to take it because they are selling uh, a higher priced item, you know, travel related uh, services. So, uh, you know, one of the benefits of cryptos is they're immutable, meaning you can't reverse them or do chargebacks, which means, uh, right? You know, there's 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 a lot of 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 companies that would like to do business with more people, but they can't they can't assess whether those people are good credit risks, and so they can't accept their credit cards. So um, Expedia makes a little bit more sense, but you know how I feel about this. For the most part, it's online transactions done cross-border that are where the real sweet spot of crypto is for the consumer.
0: And what do you think about like a PayPal or let me rephrase that, a swipe or a yeah, PayPal is another one where you're able to do a a swipe for a credit card uh, at a point of purchase. These companies... Uh, somehow taking um, some type of crypto. Have you heard anything like that? Yeah, of course.
1: And as you know, my company Opskins uh, accepts cryptocurrencies, and we've been very successful uh, in using them. We're the largest uh, e-commerce company in the world that accepts cryptocurrencies and pays people out cryptocurrencies. And the main value we get from them is it allows us to avoid credit card fraud, because credit card fraud is a massive problem for retailers. And well, not just fraud, also payback. Well, chargebacks. So the chargebacks is, Char- is fraud, basically. That is the fraud. Ah, you know, okay. uh, somebody steals a credit card, they, they use it online. And then uh, when the person realizes that the card's stolen, all those charges are reversed and it's the merchant who pays for them.
0: All right. Last thing before we get out of here. Uh, I love going on. Uh, cryptocurrency market capitalization, you know, cri- uh, coinmarketcap.com, and just kind of scrolling down and reading the names of some of these altcoins. You know, you got, you got interesting ones that are out there. There is an altcoin, which I, I just, apparently you weren't aware of, uh, I've seen the banner for it and it's called the banana coin <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but this is interesting right it's it, it's pegged because I've actually seen some altcoins that are pegged to things like gold this is an altcoin that's pegged to bananas yeah yeah and and it's a uh, uh, it's actually it's
1: th- this is probably in the family of what we call stable coins stable coins are coins that are linked to a uh, an index, or to an asset, and so they don't tend to move around as much. This one is indexed to the price, I think, of a kilogram of uh, of bananas. Yep, yep. And what I, you ate this morning? Yes, I, and I assume the idea is uh, to uh, basically it's a way to either invest in an index, a banana index, so the coin will go up or down based on you know the price of bananas. Or uh, to be used just as a as a uh, a coin that's stabilized against a uh, a very popular commodity. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a it, to me I have no idea who will use this or if it will even be successful, but it demonstrates why cryptocurrencies are so fascinating. Because you can you can do what what only before governments were able to do to peg uh, a currency to a particular asset. Remember, many countries peg their their currency to the U.S. dollar, like China, for instance. Uh, so here it's to a commodity, a very popular commodity, bananas. Uh, clearly, there's some use case. Uh, uh, the most obvious one is to hedging uh, for anyone who's got exposure to that agricultural prop. It could be an interesting and maybe cheap way to, um, um, to hedge the risk of price movement of, of bananas.
0: So on our next show, which will be coming up in a couple of days, William, I want you to t- uh, think about the top, and I don't want to say top 10, maybe top five things everyone has to think about when they're going to do an ICO. Because uh. everybody wants to do them. The top things one has to do or think about our plan when doing an ICO. And by the way, I think I want to do the house party coin. So anytime you go to a house party, you have to present this coin. Well, I think I'll, it's a big market.
1: I'll tease you with this. When you say ICO, I think you mean initial coin offering. But well, there what else? is another ICO
0: and we can Which talk is? about that next week. Oh, you mean next show, next show. Okay, next show, there's the tease. Uh, William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, we're at CoinDMZ. We're here for you. We're one shop shop, one shop stop for everything that is crypto. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time here on Coin DMZ.